Hi guys and welcome to the Parts Up Boxing Podcast. I'm Luke Cash as always and um, this episode is a little bit late and a lot late at the same time because obviously I'm going to be talking about um, Crawford vs Spence in the masterclass he delivered but I'm also going to be talking about uh, Inoue um, against uh, Fulton because I didn't get to do that last week and uh, and I want to talk about it in a little bit. So yeah, running order will be a bit on Terence Crawford vs Spence. Um, and uh, a little bit, there are a couple of things in that card I wanted to talk about. Uh, Nonito Donaire and also the uh, the Cuban debutante, uh, not debutante, but um, <laughs> I mean it was, his, it was his coming out party, so to speak, so you could call him a social debutante. Um, uh, Yomanis Tejas against uh, Sergio Garcia, because you know he came out and it surprised me a bit. So I'll talk briefly about a couple of a couple of things there, and then I'll move on to you know, the uh, the in a way versus. Uh, Fortune fight, and I will just talk about the main event there. Um, I'm not sure how long this episode will be. We'll see how it goes um, when I record. Um, busy, busy. Anyway, let's get, let's get going. Let's go on with the main event. Terence Crawford beating Errol Spence at, you know, everything. Just beating him up, outclassing him, putting him on the great performances of the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, just, it's just an incredible performance by, by Crawford. Uh, we'll talk, you know, we'll talk about some of the concerns about Spence, but mostly I want to focus on just how good Crawford was and how he shut down everything that uh, that Spence threw at him. Um, let me put it this way: um, Spence, I, I did say this in the build-up. Spence needed to build momentum, and that's how he fights. And Crawford just uh, took that away from him, used it against him. Well, that's how he fights. Um, it's the thing, you know, I've been saying in, when I've been talking about the fight post uh, post fight. Um, I uh, I I predicted, and I'm not blowing my own horn too much because a lot of us did um, did predict a lot of the dynamics that Crawford would use to beat Spence. Like a lot of people, you know, predicted one thing or another. Um, you know, everyone missed something, but but uh, but a lot of us got a lot of things right about how how he get it done. But uh, pretty much no one expected it to be done that quickly because I don't get it. Uh, you know, don't get it mistaken. Um, the the fight lasted what was it, eight rounds, nine rounds. It ended in the ninth, and uh, but it was done by it was done after you know I'd say two. You could say you know after the third um, because the the main you know Spence got knocked down at the end of the second, um, and uh, you know I think that did a lot to just dissuade him from doing the things that he needed to be doing. But you know it was the the third that really proved that, that Crawford had the. Uh, had the uh, all the tools that he needed, so. Um, but yeah, it was done after that. So there was another five rounds of uh, Crawford basically just putting the screw in. And you know, my opinion of it is this: um, the, the 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 first real moment where Spence kind of realised that he's in trouble here was um was that knockdown because. Spence's game plan, he is you know, it's rolling forward momentum, constantly going forward. But um, you know, he isn't a guy who constantly pitches forward and never steps back he steps back a lot and that's part of the his whole thing he knows he in all his fights to date he's been safe in the knowledge that if he gets into trouble he can disengage really fast reset and then get back rolling and so he maintains a steady mental pressure um while being able to you know step off the gas uh just temporarily um if he gets into trouble he doesn't you know he isn't normally reliant on on having Having to get in and stay there is what you know. What I'm trying to say there, he doesn't. You know, he can disengage and re-engage if he has to, and um, and Crawford um, d- 
dissuaded him of that notion in the second round with that knockdown because he tried to disengage and uh, Crawford just chased him down and knocked him down. Um, and he'd set it up. He'd built it up to it because because um, Crawford had been doing certain patterns, you know, uh, the jab and then the left hand uh, coming in after it. Um, and Crawford punished that. Uh, you know, um, he'd been doing like a body jab and then, uh, uh, yeah, following up. It's like a one-one-two sort of thing. And Crawford punished that. And then, so Spence, he came in with the jab and then he stepped back out again straight away. And um, Crawford anticipated that and just powered after him. And he, you know, lost balance, Crawford. You know, he wasn't he wasn't technically correct when he did that. But he just knew full well that Spence wasn't going to do anything at that point. He was backing off. He Spence is not a back foot counterpuncher. And he floored him. And, uh, and that was a, a big shock to the system, to you know, just mentally to Spence. And the other thing was, and I've talked about this, I should probably mention at this stage, I was on heavy hands. Uh, I will be on heavy hands. I don't know which of these is going to come out first. This is partly why this podcast is a little late. It's an unplanned appearance. Um, anyway, I was going to mention that at the end, but I'm just going to be referring to things I said on that show. So, so I'm going to say it now. Anyway, my point being is this. Um, Spence, for me, and I've said this in my Brandy Elbow article as well, um, Spence is not a guy who necessarily needs to land his jab to work off it uh, we, I'll mention you know Stephen Fulton later Stephen Fulton against Nayo Inoue uh, when he didn't land his jab he freaked out Spence doesn't freak out if his jab doesn't land as long as you're reacting to it um, as long as you can build you know move behind it um, he's fine but uh, Crawford wasn't moved by the jab you know either either physically or mentally you know or emotionally you know he just it was it didn't affect him at all it didn't affect i mean obviously it affected crawford's plans and that he had to work around it but it didn't dissuade him like he was using it for his own uh, his own purposes and that got to spence too because you know he'd step in he throws jab and step in behind it and find uh find the counter punches already waiting like the intercepting shots and that was a big problem for him um and he does have an issue it's a weird thing um, because he brings himself in safely to a certain distance and then the last bit when he starts punching basically he uh, he goes with his hands first and then his feet and Crawford used that to the max like maybe this if there was one thing that we should all that all the analysts who proved it should have spotted uh, more well not even spotted because we all spotted this like everyone I know who predicted the fight who uh, predicted Winfrey Bud um, including myself pointed out that Spence leans into your half forwards and the uppercuts are going to be coming. But I think if there was one place where the scale of what happened could have been predicted, it would be that it would be that Crawford would be really not letting him not giving him the time to bring his feet in afterwards the way every other opponent has. Um and just using that against him and manipulating it, and Spence Crawford used that against him in every way. Um, used it in uh, in the clinch. He used it to shove. You know, Spence is a bigger guy, probably not stronger now, like this this shows. But um, but it, as we've often seen in 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 boxing, um, when you get to a shoving match, as long as you're within a reasonable distance of strength, the guy who is better positioned will win. And not necessarily the actually physically stronger guy. So Crawford may well be physically stronger because he was man handling Spence, but he was really using his balance against him. Like he was a, uh, 
setting up his positions while Spence was still bringing his feet in. And that really, again, got to Spence because he wasn't able to, you know, even when he got, got to where he wanted, he was out of position before he really could start working. Um, so, so that fucked him up. And then we just got to Spence's uh, Crawford's legendary trap setting and drawing him onto shit and reading the patterns. And Spence has, you know, I think people being a little unkind to Spence, sort of in hindsight, he isn't, yeah, he has predictable patterns. He isn't like a one dimensional fighter or by any means. And it's like he does play with the timing to a certain extent. But, you know, he, 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 uh, he plays with the timing in a rope, but he has different timing beats, different beats set in his, um, in his, uh, fuck's sake, in his arsenal, in his repertoire as well. So I say here, um, he doesn't have, you know, he can't just adapt on the fly. And so Spencer was basically seeing what, what he's using now and, uh, using that against him. And so there are things that, things like jab, um, you know, um, when Spence works behind a double jab, he almost never throws straight after the double jab. It's like tap, tap, tap. And the third tap can be a third jab or it can be a, a power hand or, you know, sometimes it's the disengage, but it's, you know, tap, tap, tap. And Crawford was reading and just putting something into the middle. If, if Spence threw a double jab, Crawford knew there was a gap. And it's just all different kinds of little patterns like that um, Crawford got a read on and, uh, and started using them against him. And that's the big difference between them is, and I said this in my article, is um, Spence does not have the knack of getting out of those. You know, he he knows he's got a problem with it, but clearly because he does, you know, he he isn't like a guy who just constantly does the same thing or the same speed all the time. He has variations. He tries to work on variations, but he doesn't have the knack of just on the fly holding for a second, then going, or even a fraction of a second. And obviously Crawford is all about that. Crawford has no set rhythm. Um, whereas Spence has, you know, he has a big book of different set rhythms that he can go to. Um, and so Crawford, basically, Crawford could react to whatever Spence was doing on the fly and adjust and uh, and figure it out. And Spence was just um, reduced to, and it's not even reduced to, it's just what he does, um, trying the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Um, and this kind of exposed exposed yeah i mean that's a strong word but in this case yeah it showed us that what spence does is is it is a he has a big book of stuff he can it has in his head he has in his repertoire he's scored he's trained that he can try but um but it isn't directly responding to what is what crawford was doing whereas crawford was obviously directly responding to what um to what spence was doing and yeah that was essentially the difference hmm yeah, you can. Yeah, that's how he set traps. Basically, <laughs> that's the difference between traps any fighter and not traps any fighter. But even you know, even pressure fighters can do the whole responding to your opponents doing things. Usyk does, um, Chocolate Tito does. So you know, let's not you know, let's not make it uh, about you know, the counterpuncher is superior to the pressure fighter type of thing. Um, it's just Spence. It showed his limitations, you know. Um, but even. In those limitations, you could see him trying the different shit. It wasn't like he just did the same thing the whole way through. It's the kind of thing that frustrates me sometimes when you see a guy get outclassed and say, oh, he should just have something different. He was doing something different within the bounds of what he's got. He, he couldn't turn to a whole different fighter. Anyway, um, I do want to highlight uh, the second knockdown in the fight, the, um, the first one in the seventh round, where um, throughout the fight, Crawford, who uh, was using a variety of guards, Crawford doesn't have a set like 
one defense that he does. He has a variety. Um, but in this instance, he was in a shell guard, not a fully shell, I don't think. Uh, so someone may correct me on this. But he had his lead hand low and his uh, and his uh, backhand high, and Spence threw a um, overhand left into that opening. Uh, I'll talk about this in article too. He threw an overhand left at that art, uh, into that opening, and um, Crawford fades back and kind of keeps that hand low. Um, and Spence and he faces the ropes and it's just full on bait and Spence is like okay that nearly worked I'm going to do it again and as he comes in with the overhand rights um, Crawford brings up a lovely little uppercut um, and uh, you know just fucks him up with it and then he comes in with the uh, with the follow up um, with the same hand that uh, that drops him in the end but it was it was the uppercut that got him but it was basically like you know come on you Come on, come, come and get me. You know, you nearly got me with that right hand. Come on, come on, come on, come do it again. I'm just going to punish you for it. And that happened throughout the fight. Like any time, you know, any time Crawford showed anything that Spence thought might be an opening, uh, he closed it immediately and uh, and intercepted it. And this is the thing with a fighter like Crawford. Sometimes they are real openings. Sometimes they are mistakes that he's making that in opponent spots, but he rectifies them immediately and then punches it for them and sometimes they're just fake sometimes they're just he's realized that an opponent has a tendency to do certain things in this case um he used uh, spencer's tendency to loop in with an overhand left um quite a lot um and uh and he just bait those shots and then punish them and you know he's he's wonderful at that he's he's incredible yeah, there's. Uh, I've, I've talked about this fight. This is a third time I'm putting you know real effort into this. Uh, so I have condensed my thoughts somewhat. Please don't be shortchanged. But um, <laughs> I just haven't got that much left to say. Uh, it was incredible. It was incredible. Um, you know, his for everything, his positioning. Like I say, uh, Spence's tendency to overbalance was countered by Crawford's complete perfection. You know, I say complete perfection. Obviously, he makes mistakes. Like, he's not always a hundred percent correct. But uh, the precision of Crawford's footwork compared to the imprecision of uh, of Spence's, um, it was it was a masterclass. And the thing is, um, a lot of the masterclasses we've seen down the years are boxing lessons that last twelve rounds and are scored And this was that plus a massive fucking beating. And Crawford's always been about that. He loves hurting people. He's a mean, mean boxer. Um, but but it was. You know, this is a, the difference between this and uh, Rugendo versus Donair because that was as much of a difference as skill. But um, but Donair really, uh, Rigo really didn't care about you know taking Donair out of there or humiliating you know humiliating him. Yeah, he humiliated him boxing skills wise, but he didn't really care about the putting the beating on him. You know, uh, Roy Jones versus Tony and. If you've heard me talking about boxing like at all, you know it's a big deal that I'm putting this even in the same breath. Um, I think uh, Tony was better than Spence. I think fairly clearly, but uh, but Roy Jones had a big jump on him, and he was just content to clown him. Whereas Spence, uh, Crawford could have clowned Spence really if he wanted to, but he didn't. He, well, he did, but he didn't uh, hesitate from fucking him up. And that sounds weird to say, you know, we're boxing fans, we have to acknowledge that we uh, we do like uh, a bit of the violent art, so, but yeah. Um, it was just magnificent, it was, it, was, it was an incredible performance, if you haven't seen it, I don't know why. Um, yeah, and it puts Crawford, you know, as one of the best fighters, you know, over the last however long. Um, 
I'm not a boxing historian, I'm not going to place him in history, but there has not been a better fighter um, since Roy Jones was good. Roy Jones was still better. <laughs> That's going to take a long time to persuade me otherwise. But um, I'm not saying he's better than Manny, Floyd, Rigo, Leon, um, you know, all these other guys. But um, he's on that level. He's on that sort of level. Um, and his variability and his, you know, his, his ability to adapt, his cold, cold focus, it's just, uh, no, he's the whole package. And like I say, he has no, uh, he has no set timing. He has no set pattern. There isn't a thing that uh, you can say, oh, this is what Crawford is weak against. If you turn up to him being a complete counterpuncher refusing to engage, he will pressure you. And, you know, he was pressuring Spence for part of the fight because Spence got into defense mode. And instead of letting him recover, Crawford was like, well, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to I'm gonna come and pressure you and you're not a counterpuncher. But even if you are a counterpuncher, and Crawford will get in your face and... Uh, I mean, that would be the most interesting fight for him. But, yeah. Okay. The rest of the card. One sad thing, one interesting thing. And another point that I just... Uh, don't care about because it was shit. Isaac Cruz versus uh, Giovanni Cabroja <laughs> was fucking weird because it was like the tiny explosive uh, Isaac Cruz versus the unknown massive uh, Giovanni Cabrera, um, who was just basically you know skating around the ring like Bambi on ice, trying, doing his best to keep his distance and mostly kind of succeeding. Um, and if he'd kept the stamina up, he might have he might have won. I don't know. Um, you know, it was quite a close fight. Um, Giving it, uh, one of the judges, Glenn Feldman, gave it to Cabrera. Uh, that was wild, uh, because the you know there's no chance that was true. But um, early on, he was having successes, and uh, Cruz was getting really frustrated, um, and then he got docked points for a stupid headbutt. Um, but Cabrera just really didn't have the technical grounding to keep Cruz off him for four twelve rounds, and eventually Cruz with his like explosive, aggressive, getting in there just kind of fucked him up really. Uh, but not that much because Cabrera was yeah, it wasn't a good fight I'm not going to go into it really at all um, I'm not going to go into the technical details of Manita the neighbors Alexandro Santiago either um, you know Santiago he did well he did what he had to do he pushed the pace he kept just peppering um, Denier with shots without ever putting himself to danger you know he, he's fun. he's a he's a good boxer Santiago he looks like a decent boxer he is not a guy who would have given Denier any trouble at all in his prime probably not even two or three years ago um, and I don't want to disrespect him by saying that it's just, you know, he's, he's great he's he's done what he needed to do and um, it's a good story for him but it's just, uh, it's a shame to see I mean, Daenerys 40 it was always going to happen but there were times when he was really struggling to pull the trigger and when you're, you know when you're a counterpuncher you don't you only have limited opportunities to pull the trigger um, yeah, it wasn't one of those where, you know, it wasn't Tony Ferguson who where you're just going like just please don't but it wasn't you know it's showed the first signs of you know please please retire um so yeah it was it was um like it wasn't tough to watch it wasn't a beating like it wasn't a shellicking it wasn't an old guy just getting beaten up but it was just donair finally i think reaching the limits of what he can do by healthy living and good training and uh you know I'm not the only one saying this. Um, he would. He disagrees. He says he can carry on, and you know, for all respect to him, I just don't want to see a guy, you know, a good guy, just push himself past where he needs to be. Um, but you know, maybe he proves me wrong. I've been wrong before, so you know. Um, 
The other fight which I did enjoy was Sergio Garcia versus Jonas Tears. And uh, I, I wasn't expecting it at all because we basically hadn't seen anything of Tears. I saw people who said they, that Tears looked good in the build-up. And like, that was kind of true because he did. But he'd never fought anyone with a winning record. Like, there's a couple of fights of his on YouTube that are just like, um, you know, him schooling guys he should you know absolutely be schooling um there are some amateur fights of him um but he was a work in progress and he's only what 23 now uh he did not have a like a really extended amateur career as far as i can tell before he you know defected and came to america he's a cuban fellow uh, i'm not sure how he was in that and his opponent was sergey garcia and sergey garcia had meant to be fighting jesus ramos jr who was like a pretty hyped prospect um um, American, but you, know, you can tell obviously he's got a Spanish-speaking background. Um, uh, from Arizona, he, and he's like a good prospect. Um, he fought Joey Sp Joseph Spencer, Joey Spencer earlier in the year, um, and I was kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I think he's a mixed bag, Ramos, but he's he's good and he's pretty well hyped. And he was meant to be fighting Garcia, which would have been like the biggest test of his career. But he pulled out, so to save, you know, a spot on the main event to give Sergio Garcia, uh, you know, give the chance, uh, Jonas Teus stepped in. And if you're not familiar with Sergio Garcia, he's he's credible. He's completely, you know, he's not a elite world level fighter. Um, you know, he's a pretty borderline world level fighter. But um, but he is uh, he has competed with credible stay uh, credible world level boxers. He's been in with Tony Harrison and Sebastian Fedora, and he went twelve with both. Um, and I think oh, I'm going to get these two confused. Uh, one of them he got pretty much schooled by. The other one was a very tight decision. Um, let me have a quick look. He. Uh, uh, I would say he got. Either one was a tight decision, but um, he got a tight card on both of them. Um, but yeah, basically, he was not competitive necessarily, but he was credible in both. And Jonas Tejas, you know, never fought a not never fought a winning record. Comes in on two weeks, three weeks notice, and basically, this made me laugh because it was opening a Terence Crawford card, and um, he saw a guy spend the first few rounds just kind of you know chilling out. Uh, you probably could have given Garcia both of them. I'm not sure if I did. Um, because I wasn't scoring an eye on it, so I didn't need to. But you could have made an argument for Garcia winning both, but Tejas never looked fussed. And in the third round, he just went, okay, I've got you now, and knocked him out, like, pretty much immediately. Um, I mean, it wasn't immediately. It was within a few... Within a minute, I think. Uh, but it was a... It was... Um, just a really good show him um you know and it wasn't like it was completely out of nowhere because before before the knockout he saw him do this hit him with the same shot i think it was an overhand let me check because i was ready to talk about this i've fucking forgotten yeah it was a sort of chopping but also straight right you know chopping i normally associate with sort of downward movement type of thing but it was a you know it was a cracking right hand that he caught him with uh, in the uh in the punch that caused just before the ending basically um it was a uh it was um preceded by a left hook um which got um which got Garcia off balance but he'd been already been landing that right hand so he he'd already seen that there's a home for that uh 
for that exact same chopping shot. And then he, in this instance, he just went, okay, I'm going to let you throw at me, set you up with the, uh, the left hook, and then come in with that really sharp while you're off balance. And it just completely worked. And, you know, it's one fight. It's one fight from a guy who we have basically no other background for. for. Um, he's at 154, so it's in a good division. Um, but he's one to watch, basically. It was an impressive show from, you know, for, again, against a guy who's been in with credible world-level opposition, with good world-level opposition, and shown up credibly. Like I said, Gossi is borderline world-level. He's good European, borderline world-level. But for a guy with that little experience to do that to him, um, he's definitely one I'm watching for the future. He is still scheduled to fight, um, I think it's next month. Let me have a quick... Yeah, Boxwick still has him scheduled to fight Johan Gonzalez on a, on a card um, at the end of August. On the 26th of August, he is you know, now the top headliner. Uh, it's like a local card, um, Hayden Boxen, um, who is his promoter. I don't know if he's still going to be on that. I'm not sure if he'd be allowed. Um, like I say, this fight was pretty smooth going for him, so he may be. Um, but we'll see. And then that fight was against Johan Gonzalez, who is a he would have been a huge step up for for him if he hadn't just had this. But uh, Gonzalez is also a guy who's you know he's been around. Um, so yeah, uh, and he's only lost to a couple. You know, he, um, he himself has only lost to pretty good guys. He lost to uh, Charlie Navarro, who's not really you know that. Big, but it's also been, you know, around, and uh, and uh, fuck's sake, and Magma Kubanov, who was a rising ish Russian star ish, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say, but he's he's kind of bringing himself up in the 104 division, um, and so that will be kind of another test, it kind of becomes a step down because of this. Sergio Garcia. But, um, anyway, it was an interesting card. I was completely side uh, swiped by the prelims because you know I I do previews and I set up the fight cards uh, when I'm watching when I'm live live covering fights live for Boxwork. I set up live cards and I check. You know, I was on the Showtime feed and I saw no sign of a. Prelim, I may have missed it. I looked on Boxwork and it only had the four fights listed. And then suddenly, you know, I'll go to bed, I'll wake up, and suddenly there's a whole fucking undercard. <laughs> so, so, so I didn't watch any fight. There were some highlights, there were some good knockouts, but um, nothing to say there. I don't normally watch the undercards anyway on a middle of the night fight, in the middle of the night fight, because I would be dead. Um, anyway, that is that for that card. I will talk about Noah in a way now. You know, that was on Tuesday. Again, I didn't get to watch it live on that particular occasion because I was at work because it was on a Japanese show on a Tuesday night, which meant it was in the middle of the afternoon for me. I was at my day job. Um, Naoya, Naoya Unue looked fucking brilliant, didn't he? Um, and Fulton looked less brilliant. Um, there has been some comparison of the quality of the wins. Um, I would say the one definite thing, I like Fulton more than some people. I got into a bit of a, I wouldn't call it an argument, um, me and Kyle uh, disagreed on uh, on Sim Fulton um, before the fight. And I I do think he's better, still think he's better than Kyle thinks, but he's clearly not as good as 
I thought he was, but um, but at the same time, I do also think that uh, in a way, just uh, a bit like uh, um, Crawford, just to dispense uh, to just highlight all his weaknesses, but there was a lot more proven about Spence. So in that sense, it's clearly a much better, you know, at the moment, it's a much better win on the resume. We don't yet know for sure whether uh, Fulton might turn out to be like a uh, Jeff Lazy kind of guy and just kind of disappear after this. I hope not. I really hope to see him do some good things that, uh, in the future. But, um, but yeah, he had nothing for him anyway. And um, I would say, unlike Spence, um, he was lost the moment his jab didn't land. The moment he wasn't adding on anyway, and he should have been prepared for that. He had to be prepared for that because, in a way, his defense is uh, really good. It's a little based on, like, it isn't as layered as a Terence Crawford or someone like that, but um, he's really fucking hard to land on. And when you do land on him, he's really fucking hard to pin down. Um, his footwork is incredible, and his head movement is his positioning is incredible. His head movement is okay, but his head positioning is fucking incredible. So even if you land one shot on him, you kind of disappear. Um, but it's really hard to land the first shot. You have to land a combination. So your jab is really ever going to land. Like you have to be prepared to follow a jab, even if it doesn't. And Fulton just wasn't. And uh, and in no way his own jab is you know is incredible. And Fulton wasn't prepared to, to deal with that either. And uh, this is a conversation I also had with Taylor. Um, I think we also slightly disagree um, on... Well, we both agree that Fortune was scared. Not scared, but... Uh, well, Taylor Taylor says he was terrified. And in you know in the sense that, yes, he really, really didn't want to hit, be hit by Inoue after like a few minutes. That's true. Um, I think he had that taken away from him. I think Inoue worked out the you know it was just he discovered a lack of options i don't think he was making decisions like i don't think he was not doing things that he had the option to and then avoiding them i think in a way basically took away all his options and then he had no follow-up but i would agree with taylor that he was he did get a bit deer in the headlights um you know frozen on, in, on the spot and what he was facing and um I mean, the thing about Inoue, and I think this is the fight, I've been, I've said it on, you know, a little bit for a while, but um, I think this is the fight where everyone kind of realised, Inoue's power is special, Inoue's power, power is incredible, but the thing that really makes him hard, if you've got power but you're not that fast, you can be avoided, Inoue's speed is ridiculous, it's fucking ridiculous, and Fulton, you know, Fulton was never the fastest guy, but he backs himself to, you know, in a speed fight, Especially with his hands, especially with the hand speed, uh, he just had nothing, and um, you know it's going to be a long while before anyone can match him away for speed, um, if ever, if ever, um, and that just makes him so hard to deal with because he's really fast, but he thinks really fast as well. He's really precise, and that means he's really, you know, he's hard to bait. He's hard to trick into traps. And Fulton is a guy who. For me, this is where I disagree with Kyle. Kyle doesn't think I uh, doesn't think he's got a deep tool set. I do think he's got a deep tool set. I think uh, Fulton he can box on the inside and he can do quite a few things on the inside in terms of framing up and you know he has, he's kind of struggled with Figueroa in that uh, in that area, but it's Figueroa's world, and Fulton beat him there anyway. Kind of controversially, I think he won, but um, he beat him there anyway. And he can box on the outside and he can matador guys, all that kind of thing. 
he really couldn't handle the transition and Inoue is really really fast at that transition at changing the direction at stepping when you know when he's going in forwards and suddenly going back um if an opponent you know if he's if Inoue is stepping back and an opponent shows him opening he can step forward counter punch punish it and Fulton this is where I was right coming in. I, again, I, it's a similar case. I wasn't expecting the extent of it. I thought he cleaned up more than he had. But I think hindsight says he had just been covering rather than actually cleaning, having cleaned up. Fulton is not slick on transition. He needs a pause. He needs a second to get his bearings between being on the, outfoot, uh, being on the front foot, being on the back foot, or being on the back foot, being on the front foot. He needs just a second to switch over to change his demeanour, change his stance, change his whole game plan. Um, it's not a lot that he needs, but against someone like Inoue, it is all the time in the world Inoue needed to work. Um, and Inoue's just quicksilver, you know. Um, and this is the thing uh, that, and I said this in my article on this fight, um, it's going to sting for him when he watches it back, because he was allowed to try all of the things that he needed to do. Um, Crawford took away all of Spencer's taunts. In a way, basically didn't bother taking away any of the things that Fulton did, and he wasn't punishing those specifically. It's just that, I mean, he was punishing them as well, but he wasn't baiting him into them to punish him. It was just like, um, anything Fulton did, you know, he needed to be able to circle, he needed to stay off the ropes, uh, he needed to be able to get his jab going. He needed, you know, the chance to raid in, just a chance to move around, try to get in a way coming at him and matter to him. And the thing is, in a way, it's not for me. This is a disagreement I've had with plenty of people. I don't think in a way is a natural pressure fighter, and I don't think he's really a good ring cutter at all. He didn't want to be. He's not comfortable inside uh, for a long period of time, and so he doesn't feel the need to push his opponent to the ropes and keep him there because it's just not what he needs to be doing. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't think it's like he's making a mistake when he lets Fulton spin out um, or Butler or whoever. It's not making a mistake in the sense that, uh, you know, yes, he could have finished Butler and um, sooner, uh, if much, much sooner, if he had. Um, but it's not a mistake in the sense he's not putting himself in danger or letting him, you know, he's not, he's, he was never going to lose the fight. And that proved the case here as well. But he wasn't pushing Fulton to the ropes. He wasn't putting Fulton into that firefight that uh, that um, supposedly Fulton didn't want to be in. And I think the reason for that is, is that in a way, even though he would probably have fucked Fulton up, he isn't the guy who is going to, you know, he's not Chocolatito Gonzalez who's going to let a 10-punch combination go. He wants to raid, throw, get back out. Um, and yeah, and he was coming, you know, he, he can't, it's not like he's in, in, incapable of cutting the ring, he's not an imbecile, but he bases raising straight lines and then he disengages kind of in straight lines, but not really, but also his head movement is much, much better than Spencer's. Um, yeah, basically everything Fulton did was uh, was um, useless to him in that moment. Um, like um, early on, you saw, um, you know, in a way raids in, Fulton jabs, Matador's him, but by the time he steps around, Inoue's already gone, and he's just circling an empty spot in the ring, basically, and uh, then Inoue, if he wants it, can jump back in and punish him for that. Um, yeah, it was just, the things that are special about Inoue is, yeah, his power is precision, yeah, but his feet, his footwork is unbelievable, and um, 
and it's yeah it's just his head movement and speed he isn't like people who love comparing the two and I'm going to indulge I'm not going to I mean I would say you know on the basis of this Crawford deserves to be pound for pound number one etc etc um, Inoue isn't or at least didn't show hasn't shown so far to be as tactically adept as adaptable as flexible a fighter as uh, as Crawford um, no one is um, he's physically more he's faster Comparatively, now Crawford's really fast. Inoue is a fucking lightning bolt. Um, um, yeah, so Inoue does things that could conceivably be considered mistakes, but there isn't like there isn't a reason for him not to do them. It's the kind of thing where it's possible, and even quite plausible, that um, if a fighter came up where he would get into trouble for doing them. He just wouldn't. Like those little straight line raids that I say, say he's doing, I don't think he's going to do that. If he's, you know, I, I don't think he's ever going to face a counterpuncher on the level of a Rigondeau. I don't think he would do that if he faced a Rigondeau. I'm thinking of fight between a uh, classic Rigo and uh, and um, in a way would be slightly more boring than we wish to be honest. But um, because in a way just wouldn't engage with the front foot fight and. You know, Rigondeau never engages in the front foot fight, um, so it would be two counterpunches um, trying to counterpunch each other. But my point being is, in a way, is a smart guy who has he doesn't love pressuring, but he has learned to do it because he has to because no one no one wants to face his power on the, you know his terms coming to him. So, so, so he has to chase him down, um, and that sounds like a criticism, criticism, but it's not. It's basically what I'm trying to say there. He's He's not to do a thing he doesn't love doing, and he does it so well that uh, he smashed up a you know a guy that I consider to be pretty solidly world class. You know, not pound for pound or anything. He, I think, he maybe had the potential to get into pound for pound. Maybe still does, but um, I don't know. We'll see. But you know, it's pretty solidly world level, and he just got completely fucked up by an elite here, basically. Um, yeah, we have two fucking great fighters fighting in one a week. And it was great. They both put in, you know, we could have hoped for more equal fights, but we instead we saw two masters at work. Anyway, yeah, that's my uh, contribution to the discourse, apart from, you know, all my other contributions to this course. Uh, like I say, I was on, I will and have, have been, uh, there is a Heavy Hands episode coming out this week. It may come out at the same time, later, earlier, I'm not sure. Um, I am guesting on that, so if you're interested, go and listen. Um, you know, we also covered uh, the the MMA, the UFC. So um, go listen to me and well, the, the hosts of the show, Phil and Connor, um, discuss that. And yeah, um, Gary Mars because I'm bloody elbow, obviously. And um, the fight site, join our Discord, come join us in there. We discuss all these fights as they're happening. I mean, follow me at Crafty Boxing, follow the fight site at the fight site, and I will see you next time. Um, which again. I'm not going to 100% promise I'll be here next week, but I hope so. Um, and if not, then I'll see you, you know, after the next big fight. Like, yeah, as far as boxing goes, next weekend is just Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz, which I have no interest in and I'm not going to talk about, so, you know, whatever. But there are some good uh, fights, decent fights later in the, in the month, uh, especially Navarrete versus... Um, I just said Navarrete. I'm pretty sure it's Navarrete. Anyway, he's facing, Os- facing Oscar Valdez, and that's a good fight. That's a good-ass fight at Super Feather. Um... That will be exciting. That's the best part of the month, basically. And then there's a couple of heavyweight events. Uh, Joshua versus White, I don't care about. Uh, Usyk versus... Um, versus... 
Daniel Dubois is, you know, I don't, I don't like watching Usyk and Dubois, and I've called out who I don't think is going to be Usyk, but um, sadly, Baterbiev versus Kenneth Smith got called off. Um, anyway, yeah. I will see you for those. Hopefully, I will get podcasts out for those. Um, we'll see, we'll see. Anyway, I will see you next time. Have a good one.